0: We're here to talk part two of the Ravens offense versus the Denver Broncos on Sunday. Obviously not a, not an easy conversation to have, but I got one of the best guys in terms of scheme and on, particularly on the offensive side here, you get coach DC. How you doing?
3: I'm doing great, man. Thank you for having me. Hey, you, you did not just label me as an offensive guy. Did you? No, I'm sorry.
0: You're, 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 you are some of both, but your offensive database in particular is very impressive. Um, and, uh, and I, I, didn't mean to to, to pigeonhole you anyway. <laughs> now it's
3: it's. Figure. I was my original um, approach to the game and assignment was defensive, and so my friends will, will personally laugh when they hear that one. So so no 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 problem though. Thank you for having me on, man. I appreciate it. it's always fun.
0: You know, one of the things I noticed in having you on for the first time for the defense was, you know, I always, and you know, even in terms of how I describe defensive things, and I'm self taught, but but I always describe it from the offense's perspective. So I say the ORS or the OLS, You know, mm-hmm. trying to at least be specific for people. But you you did show that, you know, you want to talk about the left side when you're thinking about the defense's left and the offense's right. And yes, sir. You and you had that different background.
3: Yep. And that is a conversation that I've probably had with six or eight other people in my coaching career. And I have won every time because it's in terms of them drawing it up a certain, I would say, why are you drawing it up backwards? And they would say, I'm not drawing – I mean, I'm mean drawing on a whiteboard, like in front of the kids and the coaches. And I would intentionally disrupt their meeting, like, why are you drawing it up backwards? And I knew they weren't drawing it up backwards. I understand that I'm the one who's drawing it up backwards. I understand that. It was it was intentionally done so to be a jerk, but I won't do that with you.
0: <laughs> I, I, I do appreciate that. Um, uh, let's move on and talk some offensive line because a lot of the people, they come, they come to this show and particularly the article to try and understand how the offensive line performed and get one more view of it. You've got PFF. Uh, out there with some scoring, got some big variations from PFF this week. It's not, it's not completely typical, but there's some weighting issues that I have with the way they do things. I I just want to go through kind of player by player here. I would, I
3: would, I would, um, advocate for people to look at your, for the Ravens, your offensive line grading first. Like, I don't know, I don't know who else is out there that is doing a similar in-depth look at it. Um, You know, I have my own reservations about PFF accurately grading 1600 NFL players within 36 hours of the games being completed. You're focusing on this team and the five or six or eight guys who are uh, blocking. And I wouldn't I wouldn't ask anyone else about O-line grades but you personally.
0: That is some of the nicest praise I've had this year. I really appreciate that coming from you, coach. Uh, let's talk about Patrick McCarry a little bit in terms of of him in this game. He started the game at left tackle in place of Ronnie Stanley, and even before McCarry left, we were feeling the loss of Ronnie Stanley at a greater level. Uh, last week, McCarry was not bad; uh, it was about a C game for him. And I got to actually look at my uh, look at my notes to see how he scored this last week. But the previous week at tackle, let's go down to McCarry at tackle here. Yeah, he had a C, and it was a solid middle of the road C. And by the way, if you're an NFL team and your backup left tackle can give you a C grade, it's a point seventy five adjusted score. There, he did have a holding penalty. He allowed a quarterback hit and one pressure. But honestly, there's a lot of room for allowing negative plays when you when you are out on the edge of tackle and in, in the NFL. That's a hell of a game. Not too oh, many.
3: By the, oh, by the way, you're going up against the number one pick in the draft, Trayvon Walker.
0: Yeah, there you go.
3: I mean I mean, I did a video on it and, and I'm a huge Trayvon Walker fan. I did video I was watching Jags defensive film the first four or five weeks. That's how I became so aware of Foyer Lewick and how fantastic he is. Mm-hmm. Was watch was watching Jag's film to watch Trayvon Walker and then going, Who in the heck is this guy? You know, number twenty three. And uh, you know, I did a video. I think Makari played excellent for the competition level that he was playing against yeah. the Trayvon Walker, you know, in some sense, I would say 70, 75% of the, of the plays, he shut Trayvon Walker down. That's shocking to me. Yeah,
0: their, their other pass rusher is not a finisher, particularly Josh Allen, but he's a, he's a hell of a good pressure guy uh, mm-hmm. who, who has, uh, who has gotten the job done. But in this game, um, you know, the, the the Broncos outside linebackers had a lot of success and the three guys that, you know, you may not know the numbers, but if you look, 53, 54, and 56 are Browning, Martin, and I don't have them in order. It's Cooper, sorry, Cooper, Martin, and Browning, 53, 54, 56. They're the guys they have left after they've, you know, gotten rid of Bradley Chubb during this season, Von Miller. Uh, wait a minute, Von Miller was with yeah, us.
3: Yeah, yeah, They traded last year to the they ranch, traded, yeah. They
0: traded last year, mid-season, there you go. Okay, yeah. so, so uh, you know, th- that's that's who they got left right now, and those guys can still bring it. You know, they're Yes, they goal. can. They're good bull rushers, I thought, and they and they also have some speed to get to the outside. Uh, although it shouldn't have been enough speed in some of his cases to get to the outside. Yeah,
3: Browning. Correct me if I'm wrong. Browning had five and a half sacks coming into the Ravens game, and what did he? Did he have two and a half against us?
0: You know, I I do not have that. I do have you know who who was giving up the how, who, which offensive lineman gave up on which place, but he didn't tabulate the yeah,
3: Browning can play um, 53, excuse me, I think 53. That's Cooper. Yeah. Yeah, really good at this move that we used to call a jerk move, basically, you know, grabbing the tight end with your hands, you know, Pulling down and basically pulling the tight end down and then releasing, you know, we used to call it a jerk move, but you know, push pull, whatever people want to call it. Those guys are better than they get credit for, you know, particularly after Chubb leaving and then Miller leaving last year. I think Browning now is up to eight sacks, maybe it's seven and a half.
0: So, uh, uh, and I, I honestly, I can't tell you that. I'm just going to go go what the uh, what happened in this game. We'll talk about this a little yeah, bit. So we'll start with Patrick McCary, uh, who played only 37 plays in this game. Missed seven blocks. Uh, He he was party to four different pressure events, one full and three half. Fortunately, those were his only negative plays, but that's still a lot of negative plays for a game where you only play 37 snaps. It's it's 60% of a normal game, so it's not exactly uh, an ideal situation there. Uh, Seven missed blocks uh, among those, and of those – And I just had it in front of me. I think five were losses at the line of scrimmage. But if I'm incorrect, you'll check it tomorrow in my article, and it'll be there. So uh, McCarry got pushed around a little bit, honestly. he looked like he was uh, the little kid really leaning into a lot of blocks against some bigger men, Uh, and you you, kind of see that with him a lot. And he gave up some ground to to the bull rush that was a lot of the pressures. By the way, PFF has McCarry for zero pressures in this game. Don't be worried about that. Most of that is going to be a definitional difference because i was noticing a lot of that pressure was coming between two and a half and three seconds they use a two and a half second standard i use a three second standard i also don't allow the cone to be invaded so if the cone is invaded that's a pressure to me Mm -hmm. if the quarterback can't step into his throw if pff i don't think scores it the same way based on times where we've looked play by play through what constitutes a pressure from them by the way if you ever need that done by pff they've been very good with me about working with me and just you know we want to have a 30 minute conversation. Uh, I call Ben Stockwell and he goes through this with me and, and we resolve certain issues and occasionally we we'll get a, get a play resolved, uh, get a, get a play switched on the PFF grading. But a lot of times it's just the explanation of the different methodology really comes through. So, yeah,
3: uh, you, sorry, you, I-, I mean, McCarr. it's kind of surprising to me. It's not surprising. Any of the things you just said, it was surprising to me during the game that Macari didn't play better against the Broncos because I think he went up against a better player the week before, you know, yeah. or at least a player with a better reputation. And I was way wrong, by the way. Browning now has, I think, three and a half sacks. So I thought it was seven and a half. So I was way wrong. Um, but, yeah, that so that was surprising to me. But you're you're right in line with what I thought I saw from Macari. And, of course, filele was, you know, I think worse, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, I would. Uh, McCary a D on the on the game uh, didn't make any blocks in level two. And and the other thing about McCary, it was reported earlier in the game that he left with a foot injury. And I thought I saw that from zrebeck but zrebeck might have been reporting somebody else because I think zrebeck is on some sort of paternity leave right now, and he's mm-hmm. not actually at the game. So wh- whatever the case is, I saw it reported on Twitter that he had a foot injury and he was in and out of the game with Philele for a little while, and then Philele is taking over at the most important time of the game. So. You got to figure it was probably an injury by the end, or they would have gotten it fixed at that point. Given, you know, what we're going to, about to get into with with yeah. Daniel
3: made me made me wonder if it was something with Makari coming into the game, uh, and they because it seemed you know we've rotated left tackles multiple times this year, and I'm not going to lie to you my um, my negative my negative perspective of NFL broadcasts in 2022 when I initially heard them say that I thought hey, guys, we're probably just rotating tackles again. Mm-hmm. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. I thought Macari came back in multiple times. It might have been the plan to rotate them. Uh, it didn't seem like it, though, especially based on the way Falele played. He seemed, I think as Frank in our Discord identified it, Falele seemed like he was not ready to really compete at that level. And that sucks for me to say because I like the guy and I love his story and I, and I, I like the draft pick. But uh, this was the worst version of him, I thought, that we've seen this year.
0: Yeah, to, to address your first question about McCarry, he played the first series, then he came back in on the second play of the third series, which is really weird. They even mentioned it on air that there was a, a mid-series change. And then he played the next, the rest of the half, and then Mc, uh, Falele started the second half for one drive only, and then McCarry came back in for two drives, and then uh, Falele finished the uh, last two drives of the game that included that very long drive. And I've got to believe yeah. given the number of mistakes that uh, were there for Falele, but let's go through him before we, before we get down to it. Um, he played 33 scored snaps during that game. And that includes a 34th snap where he, he was in there and, and had an IDP penalty that doesn't count in that denominator, but it still is a negative score for him. Parts of three sacks. Now, That'll occasionally happen to a player in the game, but it's pretty damn rare. And the, what's really bad about it in his case is he gave up the bulk of these sacks, two full and one, two thirds where I thought he shared it with Zeitler. Uh, that was on the S zero where they kind of both allowed the pocket to be flushed. His pressure came first. Zeitler's pressure came second, but definitely you could be seen on the front side by Huntley. Huntley ran up to the line of scrimmage, got tackled. So that was a minus six that I split minus four and minus two right. uh, on, on that play. So, Uh, it was just way too easy to beat him outside. We talked a little bit in our production meeting, but he's just not using his hands. He's not, I mean, Mm -mm. he gave up on the block on his first sack uh, and he's not using his hands. He's a guy with extreme length and he's got more size than anybody almost who's ever played the game. Push a guy wide of the pocket. You'll have some success. You know, you'll eventually win with that.
3: It was surprising because I thought that that two game or three, I think you told me it was a two game stretch earlier in the year. I thought he played better. The, the further along, the more plays he got. And, and again, like Frank said in our Discord, you know, which is really active during the game. And, you know, someone makes a comment, and 10 minutes later, you kind of scroll back to look at it. And I did. And is he, who's right? He's like, it looked like Philele was not ready to play this game at all, um, which is unfortunate. Do I expect him to get better? Yes. You know, if we played the Broncos again this next week, how much better would he be? Appreciably better? I don't know. But, um, you know, we got our hands full if Stanley doesn't play. And McCarry can't go, uh, and we're going in there against. I mean, look. Let's be honest with you. The, the TJ Watt's an, a Hall of Fame caliber guy, but the mm-hmm. other guy they've got on the other side, Smith, he's yeah. pretty damn damn good too. And he's been he's played well against the Ravens, even dating back to that home game in 2020 where he had an interception, I think, yep. uh, to open the third quarter.
0: Yeah, yep, absolutely. That's that's the same guy. Uh, but he's he's become a very devastating pass rusher at this point. In fact, he was leading the AFC in sacks. Might have been leading the NFL in sacks at one point earlier this season. I don't yep. think he is anymore. But uh, but he definitely is one of the one of the guys. A um, few more things about Falaleli in this game. He, he gave him half a pressure. Not a big deal. The the uh, one illegally downfield. The Ravens had several chances to be called illegally downfield during this game. Powers was downfield once. I gave him a zero on the block, but. Um, there's the kind of thing they really need to watch that post-snap penalties, even five yarders, because of the option they provide, the defense are horrific for NFL. They're big time drive stallers. So it's not like a false start. A false start is a five yard penalty and the defense doesn't have a choice a, a, a IDP is a five yard penalty at the best case for the offense. Otherwise they, they might take the result, whether that's, you know, puts you in a worse down and distance situation is a turnover, whatever.
3: Absolutely. I think it's mostly on our RPOs. I think it's mostly on our our stuff where we're, you know, it's a run pass option. And and maybe it's a run. Certain RPOs are post snap RPOs and certain RPOs are pre snap RPOs based on alignment. And, you know, look, if you're playing in a high school stadium or a youth football situation, you know, a couple thousand people there for a high school game or whatever it is. Your, your your kids can communicate things pre-snap to the lineman, a keyword to let them know, hey, I'm going with the pass play here, you know. Uh, and, and so don't go downfield as much. that But that's even very difficult to do. In the NFL with thousands of people there, now it can't happen that way. They got to be on their track. They got to be blocking. And it's very difficult to um, avoid those things if it's a true RPO post-snap.
0: Yeah. That's, it, it's an interesting yeah. thing. I mean, is there somebody – who could say with a booming voice, "Roger, Roger, Roger"? Meaning an RPO is still going on during a play, and have that be of value to the players on the field, so they don't step downfield in a high school game.
3: It's so. I mean, I would say, I would say, in in certain levels, like high school and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I I worry about all the things that our quarterbacks have to do pre snap that, that all NFL quarterbacks have to do pre snap. And I, and I don't know how much help our running backs are at all. Um, to be honest with you, I said this to someone last week, and this is kind of a sidebar comment. The The players who have lined up wrong m- the most this year is our running backs. Mm-hmm. And that's – I'm talking about the wrong side. So that's an unusual situation. Although I think we did have a – we should have had a penalty on Deshaun Jackson for being off the line of scrimmage on the five-yard catch that he had in the second half. Uh, we only had six men on the line, but there, there have been situations. Obviously, the big one was uh, the Giants game, I think, where we convert the third down, and it was illegal formation because we only had six on the line. Yep. Generally, it has been our running backs in the backfield. I'm talking about Gus, Drake, even Hill one time just being on the wrong side. So to answer your question, in an NFL game, whew, could someone check that? I don't think so.
0: I, I was really asking in a high school game. I agree that it'd be difficult to do at the at the NFL level. You, do, you there are coaches out there who have the biggest voices you'll ever hear who could be <laughs> yelling a single code word in. It basically tells linemen to stay on side, but you still have trouble. I mean, getting it all the way to the other end of linemen who are set or even in the melee that is, you know, an NFL pass blocking pocket. Yeah, uh, it, it's
3: hard. I'm not sure how we mitigate that. You know, I don't have a I don't have a ton of experience teaching, coaching, um, administering RPOs, to be honest with you. My sole experience is in trying to defend them, (laughs) you know, so um, so I don't pretend to know how someone could um, efficiently handle that communication. I just don't think it's. Realistic, uh, but it's got to be a, something that's avoided by our offensive line because, like you said, and we had one. Correct me if wrong. The Saints game, we had like a 22 yard completion to Deshaun Jackson up the right sideline, where I think Morgan Moses got called for being downfield, or maybe it wasn't Moses. You know, to bring that back, and that was like, oh man, that was a that was a killer. That's a a 20 yard gain, and I know you have the data on this, or you have awareness of it. A 20 yard gain on a drive in the NFL is kind of like an indicator that you know you're going to score.
0: I mean a 20-yard gain is certainly going to increase your probably scoring significantly. So, let me let me get back to this if we can and we'll we'll stick with the offensive line stuff because we're we're getting behind already here. Seven missed blocks by Falaleli. Now, this is one of the things you really hope doesn't happen, but six of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. Now, what yeah. I mean by that is he's not pulling and does just doesn't have anyone to block. He's not going to level two and not finding a block. Uh he's not tripping entering level two, which would not be a loss necessarily at the line of scrimmage it could be shed. And that would be bad. These are losses of the line of scrimmage. Somebody beat him outside, but the ball was out quickly. He was getting bold, but the ball was out quickly. Uh, he was beaten left or right on a run play, but the run play didn't happen to go to his side kind of thing. Uh, yeah. you know, the, these are bad losses and it's, these are ones that, that unfortunately you have to look at and say, these are the worst kind of missed blocks when you're, when you're separating them at two.
3: Yeah. There was a stretch play that we ran, um, <clears throat> Excuse me. On like a third and three, I w- it might have been on the final drive um, where he get he gets beat on the backside because it's stretched to the right. We generally are only running stretched to the right, and he gets beat quite badly. You know, whereas if he was able to take over that three, and look, it's not easy to scoop a three technique on the backside. It's not an easy thing when you don't get any help from the guard. So I understand that. But having said that, he is in position at one point. He's all, pretty much equal with him at least just keep taking the guy down, keep taking the guy in the direction he wants to go. And then maybe there's that second hop cutback. And um, th- those options were not there for our running backs. And I think that, you know, as you mentioned, you know, in terms of the pass pro, that might be the reason why so many three-step quick pass game concepts were called because they understood the the pass pro deficiencies that we were having at left tackle.
0: Yeah, we saw that, definitely saw that in spades last year with Huntley and Villanueva back there. And it was it was it, there are some similarities. Villanueva probably got beaten outside a little bit less. Villanueva got bowled a ton. Yeah. And and so you know, you're you're getting a lot of this two and a half, two, three second pet pressure, which is exactly the thing you actually can defend against with quick read, quick ball out, uh, to try and get that ball to the sideline, get the ball out on a slant, shallow across, whatever it might be. Yep okay, let's let's continue on here if we can. One block in level two lately, two or two on polls, no highlights, uh, f. and here's the here's the really bad news. He had thirty. 33 of 33, That's actually, I think it's 32 scored plays. We had a correction of this late on Depending this. Before, right. after I said this, but but uh, um, he scored only one point on those. Now, it's a deduction system. So you started 33 points, and if you scored a one on every play, you, you'd score the maximum and everything. You get some negative plays in there. He scored one net point. It's one of the literally the worst games I've ever scored. So yeah. while the first two Fa'alili games were games where you could point to in the first game, you know, he gave a couple sacks in the first half. He really improved. He had a clean sheet in the second half, as far as negative events went. The second game, he was he was an F again, but he was just below the line for for passing. And I and and you know, I saw, I thought improvement from game to game. There is nothing positive I can draw from this game. It's just nothing positive.
3: Yeah, it's it's difficult to and and you want to find something positive, you know, because he's a rookie. He's a nice kid. Um, he's he's got a great story, and he's going to be here for at least four years. And and he's got great size and strength. So you want to find something positive. So I, I know you, at least from the limited, you know, interaction I've had with you. If there was something positive, you would mention it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't see one. And um, you know, for me personally, when when we watched it, <clears throat> excuse me, um, in our Discord, you know, a bunch of us said, hey, Philele really struggled, but we didn't really elaborate on it. And then to see someone like you and and others, you know, co-sign that, it lets you know how really poor it was. And I think that there needs to be a little more. I don't want to say attention, a little more understanding of fans. Like, it isn't all on Lamar. It isn't all on Huntley. It isn't all on Greg Roman. It, you know, when our when we cannot pass pro with one-fifth of our offensive line at all, that limits the playbook. You know, if it's third and 14, we're not going to convert. <laughs> you, know? you know, so, you, you therefore, you have to call certain plays on first and 10 to avoid third uh, I should say third and nine you have to avoid third and nine and your play calls early have to try to mitigate that and so I think there needs to be a little bit more understanding from us as fans that when there's injuries guys out Ronnie Stanley Lamar Jackson you know even going back to Rashad Bateman being out there's a a real limiting factor on the offense
0: yeah it's totally totally shrunk the field part of shrinking the field is you don't have the over the top guys and and they could make do. I mean, honestly, if they had their full offensive line, then Robinson and Duvernay are good enough speed threats that they could yep. still stretch the field vertically. And they have the threats currently to stretch the field horizontally between the combination of Hill, Duvernay's jet motion, the counters they run, and Lamar. They had that they had the great guys now. You don't have a left tackle. You don't have a you don't have a uh, a quarterback who's going to be the really good reader in terms of options, and you just don't have the same kind of dangerous nature. The ball's got to be passed more often. It's got to be out quick, and it's just it's a scary way to have to run your offense week after week. Just no margin for error.
3: I think it's possible we'll see less Pat Ricard against the Steelers, and that sounds dangerous. I actually don't even like saying that because our running backs can't pass pro, like they're not good at it. And the re- that's the reason why Pat Ricard is on the field on so many passing situations because he is in pass pro you know, and then sliding out into the flats late on a delay. So I, I think it's possible that they're going to have to come up with two or three answers personnel wise um, if Philele has to go. And one of them could possibly be Pat Ricard on the field in certain passing situations next to Philele to help him out.
0: They did try a couple of unbalanced right formations in this game. But you know what really surprised me about it was they used O'Lele on the outside. So he was, he was yes. uh, RTO, as we designate. So we have an RTO and an RTI when he's outside of Moses. And typically in the, okay, 2008 was a year where they just ran tons of five-man unbalanced
3: Yes, they did. I, and, I actually remember that, but I didn't. I wouldn't have identified the year like you just did. That's awesome. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I, the,
0: the point I was making is that is that when they would do that, they would move Willie Anderson typically over to the left side, or even if they move Gaither to the right side on those plays, they always had Gaither on the outside because he's the much more mobile guy at that point in their careers. Willie Anderson, great tackle, but and, and he had a good year that year, but but they always would tuck him, and I would have figured they try and do that with Faalele. And, and use mm. Moses as the outside guy. But honestly, I think they're a little scared on that side, too. And we'll get to Moses in just a minute. He didn't have a great game here either. Um, and, and you know, it leaves them in a, in a position where they you'd, you'd expect them to be, probably be doing more set and chip blocking. But they really didn't even do that um, in this game. They uh, they only had .58 sets and chip blockers per play. Where I think it's Jacksonville they used 1.0. So you got some guys who are winning. And they're only rushing 4 and 5. It's kind of an an ideal place to throw more chip blocks because you, yeah. you're, you know, they're not rushing seven. So you don't have a chance to block it up no matter what you do. And they're, and they're not playing cover zero against you. So, so you're, you know, you, you'd rather have somebody out to, to, to try and beat the defense or punish them for making a mistake. It's it's, they're actually giving you a chance to have the chip blocks be effective. And they, they really didn't take it in this game.
3: Yeah, we were, it seemed like, you know, when I think of the defining formation for this game, I think of flex two by two, you know, for for Huntley. I think I feel like we were in that, even in our twelve personnel group. I feel feel like we're in that a lot. As I scroll down my my list, you know, I do see some, I do see some other formations. Don't get me wrong, Uh, twin slot being the one that we generally are chipping out of. Twin slot is half a flex or half of spread. You know, where spread is like two by two, two receivers to the right wide, two receivers to the left wide. Twin slot, if you think about it, is two to one side let's say two to the right and to the left you have one receiver and ricard next to or tucked next to the the left tackle that's you know the the defensive designation of it twin slot and that's the formation where we do chip the more off more often out of because he's tightly aligned and with uh with us being more in spread formations with huntley last week or this sunday we weren't chipping much at all i don't know how i don't know if we do that against the steelers um I will say this, 2020, when he played with Washington, uh, Morgan Moses did a fantastic job on T.J. Watt. Now, do I expect that to happen uh, this Sunday? No, because <laughs> it's T.J. Watt, you know, but uh, it'll be an interesting matchup.
0: Yeah, I hope, I hope they're able to find some solution, whatever it is. But uh, I'm going to move on uh, right now to talk about powers and. Powers, for me, had the best game on, of any offensive lineman, and and I know PFF did not score him well on the run. And I would agree, he looked kind of ponderous in some of the pulling. Uh, as as kind of he's, he's at a point where his pulling has been very bad this year, and the Ravens have had a remarkable ability to teach anybody basically to pull from left guard. They've had James Hurst doing it. You know, Bradley Bozeman is not a particularly athletic lineman. It was one of the real knocks on him coming out of Alabama as the guy you know didn't have the speed to get to level two and make an impact. Bradley Bozeman was one of the best pullers the Ravens have ever had, mm-hmm. and and Powers is a limited um, mobility guy, and he has had a, just a very difficult time pulling. Part of it is there is some push on the interior line happening that that is causing problems, but part of it is he's just not quick to get started on the pull. Most most offensive linemen they just really know how to get out of their stance and get pulling right away.
3: Right when you're pulling the the side you're pulling to, which in this case will be the right side of our offensive line, can't be bowed. It's got to be it's got to be a wall created. You know, if you want it to to draw it up, you know, it kind of looks like a 45 degree angle where the right side is canted at a 45, and then the puller is in a flat line to kick someone out. You know, kind of you know something like that. But um, yeah, I thought Powers didn't get any push. On some of the big defensive tackles he dealt with, even the touchdown run by Huntley down on the goal line, if I remember correct, uh, Powers is pushed a yard and a half in the backfield on that I believe, play.
0: I believe that's correct. Let me just make sure. I'm pretty sure I have it as a zero on that play. Yep. Yeah, he he and and uh, and Falele both on that play broke down. It's lucky the the, the play was run right to the other side behind the guy who wanted to make three blocks on the play. So.
3: Unbelievable. Yeah, I shared that video on Twitter and multiple other people did too. It was a great effort and um, just shows you – I mean, we would often talk about kids or, or players making plays and, and when they made the play. Kevin Zeitler made that play in the 60th minute of the game, a game where, you know, let's be honest, there was booze in the stadium. I mean, you were there, you know, yep. for the offense. You know, so – and and we had struggled offensively and hadn't scored a touchdown and he had the fortitude, commitment, um, character to do that on um, – what was that? Our 60 – how many the plays last did we offense,
0: It was the last offensive play. So yeah. Number 60, 69, I think it might 69. be. 69? One of them was a – yeah, 69 offensive plays. One of them was a spike, so that doesn't
3: count. I, whenever we would try to sell a kid to a college, we would always show plays from the fourth quarter. And we would say, and I'll never forget, like this kid didn't go to his school, but James Franklin was coaching at Maryland. And we had a kid, very small, athletic, make a 44-yard punt return in the fourth quarter of a playoff game against a 10-0 and team. And, that, and um, <clears throat> that was his 120th snap on the field that night. And, and, uh, and to Zeitler's point, like, you know, that's the last play of the, of the offense for the whole game, making three blocks on It, it says a lot about him.
0: Yeah, I, it was not a great drive for Zeitler, which is which is one of the interesting things because he missed two blocks. He had a third of a sack on on the drive when, on the uh, on the S zero in the in the middle of the drive, but then he finished up very strong, made his last nine blocks in a row, including the, the the three for one on the final play. We'll get to that in a moment. Let me finish with some of the grading on Powers, if you don't mind. Here, despite all the problems he had as being a ponderous run blocker and and not a not a tremendously effective run blocker in terms of getting real push he had zero negative plays on the game and that means no nobody penetrated against him to, to take anybody down for a loss and he didn't allow any pressures quarterback hits or sacks um and he didn't have any penalties either and you're going to score well in my system when when that happens he missed five blocks during the entire game went five for seven on his pulls, which is not that bad considering he didn't really look good on them uh had three pancakes in the game and it, to me, it was one of Powers' best game of the year. I, I, it was an A, and it was, it was to me, clearly the best of any Ravens lineman, even though I thought Linderbaum also played pretty well. But uh, uh, Powers clearly is the best. If I look at PFF's rating, they have Powers as the best pass-blocking guard in the entire NFL. They have him as a bad run-blocking guard. Hmm. And I'm here to tell you, if you're going to be good at one thing and bad at the other, that is the way to do it, folks. And I don't care what scheme you're running, whether you're running the Ravens or whether you're running Air Coriel of the 1970s. You want a guy who uh, is going to be there pass blocking more than run blocking. is the more valuable skill to have.
3: Yeah, because there's going to be less negative yardage plays that you're giving up that are noticeable to everyone, you know, especially third down sacks. They kill, you know, the end drives. And if you're never giving up sacks in the first place, you're never giving up a third down sack. I think he's a workman like guy. You know, to me, he would be someone who just like shows up to work every day, does a Does it does his job to the best of his ability and you can win with guys like him. And there's going to be certain people uh, that I interact with on social media that don't like me saying that because there's a lot of really anti Ben Powers people. I kind of understand it because, you know, we drafted Ben Cleveland and we want him to play. It's just a fact. Ben Powers in 2022 is far superior in in probably every way.
0: I mean, we've got to assume that we really don't know who Ben Cleveland is right now, but the coaches do. And they're making exactly. a choice, and and I think I trust them to make a good choice on on this case. One thing that Ravens do you know, though, they, they handle the offensive line well. So uh, Powers an A for the game, the the top scorer of the of the Ravens offensive lineman, Linderbaum. Now he got his second consecutive B this week. Surrendered just half a pressure. That's his only negative event. Now there is an asterisk that goes with that. There is another pressure that he allowed that Huntley ran him out of. So it would have been another minus two points. Probably would have stayed in the same in the same grade level, but it would have been just barely uh, had he. Missed six blocks. Five of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. Um, now, recently we've been seeing a lot of him missing blocks that were losses at the line of scrimmage where he's getting bull rushed or, or, or he's getting pushed back on run plays. The, the size is showing up. This is something different. There were two failed stunt pickups in this game that were part of him you know, not really delivering the highest quality performance, though he still played well. And and that bothers me a little bit. One one of them Moses completely bailed out on, and uh, so Zeitler pulled f- to, to the left side, obviously, and then that left Linderbaum and Moses over together on the right side. There was a stunt handoff on the play, and Moses kind of ended up handling both players, and right. Linderbaum got himself out of position beyond both players.
3: Those guys are normally, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm absolving Ronnie Stanley of this because he hasn't, you know, played consistently this whole year. I feel like from Powers, Linderbaum, Zeitler, and Moses, they're normally handling handling a lot of stunts quite well. Particularly Powers and Linderbaum. It seems like now I do remember one earlier in the, in the year that they didn't handle well. I think it was the Jets game, but they generally have handled, you know, exchanges quite well. There's pre-snap indicators for the offensive line in terms of how wide people are lined up mm-hmm. um, and that can sometimes give that away. And I don't mean specific opponents in the NFL. So I'm sure that they are communicating. When you say that, it makes me wonder if those things weren't communicated pre-snap to give you some awareness that it might be coming because I feel like we've been pretty good at it.
0: Well, they, I, one thing yeah. I, and I do, I agree with you. I think the interior offensive line has been, you know, really strong this year. I think Moses also played well, but the interior offensive line, generally the play has been, pretty darn good and and if if you're talking about what Linderbaum is supposed to do well at the nfl level it's pick up stunts and i think generally speaking he's been able to do it oh yeah uh, but there have been a few times his weakness has generally been as a pass blocker not as a run blocker and so when he's when it has shown up um you know it's it's been i think more anchoring and getting off balance due to the length and size of the opponent either whether he's getting shed by size or whether he's getting out length and off balance by a bigger man. Those have been the big problems. And I know there's been a lot of excuses made for players. You know, the the, the nose tackles are too big for him, or he's faced only the best nose tackles in the league. But in my opinion, he's faced an above average set of nose tackles, but I don't think he's faced the, the, you know, exclusively the best guys in the league so far.
3: Yeah, I I didn't think he stood out to me as someone who played exceptionally well against the Broncos. You know, but it's sometimes hard to notice, especially when we're in spread formations, because the like you said, the ball is out quick. So your eyes, as a fan, you know, on TV, are being averted to you know the direction of the ball. I usually am trying to look at like I usually try to look at a side of the field. Excuse me, I'm sorry, because that's what I was usually assigned to look at. You know, Mm -hmm. when we were on offense, Um, I like I like the way that our guys have played inside. Generally, it doesn't surprise me that we had trouble with pass pro uh, this game with Stanley being out, it would surprise me us not picking up stunts better if that continued to be a trend, especially right. inside.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and, you know, you mentioned the the uh, Linderbaum and Powers axis. And, and you know, we, we went into this year and Linderbaum had all kinds of questions about whether or not he was going to be able to hand up Hand, uh, hold up to being an NFL player based on his size. Of course, I, I have questions. You know, not everybody does. And I know everybody else wants to say first-round draft pick, Pro Bowl, or just get him there, vote for him now and all that. He's not there right now, folks. He's just not. I mean, he's not Creed Humphrey. He's, he's not Jason Kelsey. He's a rookie. And he's got a great growth pro- pro- uh, uh, um, projection that should these be. Rookies, a- yeah.
3: These these rookies this year, there's been so much inconsistency, you know, with – I'm talking about across the NFL, not just the Ravens. Devin yeah. Lloyd, okay, Inside linebacker for the Jaguars yep. was taken off the field some last week in in favor of Chad Muma, who's a great talent from Wyoming. Don't get me wrong. Devin Lloyd was rookie of the month, d- defensive rookie of the month for in the first week month of the season. Okay. Additionally, correct me if I'm wrong. Aiden Hutchinson was defensive rookie of the month this past past month for November. If you watched Aiden Hutchinson film from the first four weeks of the season, you would say there is no way that happened. Uh. So my point is there is some real variance with rookies, you know, across the league. And I'm not, I'm not talking about interpretation because, like, people interpret certain plays differently. I'm talking about production, just just numbers, just numbers, you know, just production. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that, you know, there would be people with drastically different opinions. I'm glad we got him. I feel like, you know, I feel like he's a smart pick to be able to parlay one first round pick into another (laughs) That in the
0: fourth year. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah, Yeah. That that was really shocking.
0: Yeah. It was, it was, it was a great acquisition. It was a great move by EDC that the, the uh, Kyle Hamilton, another guy that, that was getting beat and didn't know what he's doing on the football field those first two weeks. And the guy is playing some great freaking football right now.
3: Oh my Uh, gosh. Yes.
0: Absolutely critical to who the Ravens are defensively since they don't really have a third corner. And they've taken this very extreme measure of saying, okay, this guy's Tyrone Matthew. That's, that's, yes. he, this is the honey badger over here. He's, he just happens to be four or whatever he is and, and, uh, have these Man. long arms.
3: So, so unique, um, with his talent. And I see a lot of pre, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I know you really, you know, pay attention to the defense. I see a lot of pre snap communication with us that I didn't see in previous years. I'm talking multiple guys, three, four guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I know we're getting away from the offensive line here. So in any case, rookies, inconsistent. Doesn't surprise me that Linderbaum would have moments. You know, I'm still a big fan.
0: So, you know, this is the kind of thing I would love to go down this rabbit hole with you. And we could turn the show, show into another two hours, but we just can't do it. I, I yeah, man. Josh, We got to have you on more often. That's what this really amounts to, because this is such a fun conversation when you're when you're here.
3: So you had Zeitler. How did you have Zeitler graded then?
0: Linderbaum will be for the game. Zeitler, worst game of the season for the second consecutive week. So he had a D last week. He got an even lower D this week. Um, There were a a spread of some problems. So a couple half pressures, which is not too bad. If you're at guard, you give up a couple half pressures. That's not the end of the world. Uh, Eight missed blocks. Now, just like last week, it was not dominated by losses at the line of scrimmage. Last week, he had something like 11 missed blocks and three of them were losses at the line of scrimmage. Which means he's pull, he's going into level two, he's missing polls. It's it's not any one thing. In in this week, it was four out of eight were losses at the line of scrimmage. So he wasn't getting, you know, mm-hmm. the crap beaten out of him by the guy lining up opposite him, who's you know, lining up over the outside shoulder as a as a three-tech. He's he's uh uh you know, more of that is he's uh you know, getting into level two, not missing, not making a block. He did make all his polls in this game, so it wasn't that. Um, but but he had a, a variety of things that went wrong that weren't among the the basic ones. And then he also got beat. And number I think it was number ninety three. It was Jones. Um, yeah. Beat him for most of the most of the pressure on the day, including the third of a sack on that final drive. Uh, six out of six on his pulls. I mentioned that one block in level two, two pancakes. That highlight was one of the blocking highlights of the entire year on that last play. Amazing. Team. And uh, you know it's it's just great to see three way blocks. By the way. If you ask the typical offensive lineman how many they get per season, I, I mm. think most people would say one, and and many people it is zero, um, and and I think you know you you probably see three to four per team per year of of really legitimate three blocks on one play.
3: I can I can remember two that I've ever seen personally, you know, and I mean when I say seen, I mean play teams that we coached. And then, and then we had the film of, cause you know, you can't see it live unless you're the offensive line coach up in the box. Who's assigned to watch it. Then, you know, you can see it. Uh, that was amazing. That was amazing. I think, I think that they correct me wrong. It sounds like most of his missed blocks were on run plays.
0: Uh, now I've got my sheets in front of me here and I don't really want to take the time to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. So on a, on a RM nine, he had PC by 97. Uh, yeah. Then he had a pull no block. Uh, then he had a L two. Uh, that's a PNB. That should be. That means we got this labeled wrong. I'm gonna have to fix that because that's yeah. a P zero. So make some six out of seven. Then he had an L two uh, risked IDP. So he went into level two. It looked like he was probably trying to get ahead of a of a play that was supposed to be out quickly. Then he backed up on that play. Powers same problem okay. on that single one. I think uh, I remember that one. All right, that's yeah, a little bit of an odd ball. Then pulled by ninety three. Uh, let's go to the rest of these here. L two NB, um, bold, then shed by 96. That's a bad loss. Uh, then, uh, L two whiff on 49. So that's just a missed block in L two, less, less important, but still not good. And then a bold by 98. So, you know, variation of stuff.
3: The reason I ask if they're mostly on run plays, and this, you know, stop me after a minute and a half if it doesn't make sense, is I noticed this in the Jacksonville game. And this is this is something that I feel like is the second year in a row. You get to a point in the season where formationally and personnel-wise, we are becoming more predictable because there's, there's more data for def- – I'm talking about for defensive coordinators, defensive staffs to pick up on. The longer you have that data, the more reliable that data is. In week three and week four, that data for a defense preparing for us isn't as clear. You know, and I have wondered now for the second year in a row, of course, 2021 is so crazy with the injuries. I've wondered for the second year in a row because I'm personally aware of the way that people prepare with tendencies, percentages, uh, field and boundary percentages. I'm, I noticed it in the Jacksonville game, linebackers were, were hedging over to a particular side. That ended up being the play side more often, which um, again we're talking about offensive line. That makes the angle different for the offensive lineman to get to that. I'm I'm not saying in any way that the way you graded it <clears throat> doesn't reflect what happened. I'm saying the the alignment of the, def- the play. Yes, the alignment of the defense. Is changed based on the way it's drawn up. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna combo this front side three technique to the backside inside linebacker. Well, if that backside on inside linebacker is in a in a is is in a zero, meaning he's head up on the center at five yards, it's gonna be way harder for you to get to him. He could fold over the top and beat you easier. I wonder about that because you're saying that Zeitler's worst two games was the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. now I'm making a large connection here um, between something that stuck in my mind. Uh, um, Last week after the Jacksonville game, during the Jacksonville game, I saw foyer looking, identifying our formations, pointing at players, looking at his players, and put, they knew the place. <laughs> you know, they, or they knew the tendencies. And then you're saying a guy like Zeitler, who's played at a generally high level, I think for us, oh, has yeah. had his worst two games in the last two weeks. I, I feel like there's some correlation there. Um, maybe. Maybe I'm making too big of a, a connection
0: you know there's in 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 doing this over the years one of the things i noticed is there's a lot of week to week variation in players so i don't get too excited about when a player has 1d or even even 2d's if it's you know i i kevin Zeitler having 2d's in a row is a little concerning marshall yanda having 2d's in a row would be a lot concerning you know in terms of what i what i might mm-hmm. think because he was so you know, machine-like in terms of, of not making bad decisions about getting where he was supposed to be to make his blocks and whatnot. But, uh, you know, it's it, it happens, and I expect Zeitler to bounce back because he's been unbelievably good in his time yeah. with the Ravens. And my major concern about Zeitler isn't, is he going to bounce back from this? Is is he going to play this third year with the Ravens on this contract? Or is yeah. he going to hang it up? I'm, I guess
3: uh, I guess I'm I'm trying to draw a web of connection in that, you know, our offense hasn't been producing lately. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is the second year in a row where that has occurred where there has been this dip around the same time of the season. I know that last year um we had you can correct me if I'm wrong I think we had a 34 point game against the Vikings prior to going down there to Miami and you know basically doing nothing offensively for yeah imploding. I feel like this is this and and then after that Miami game you can correct me if I'm wrong 10 points at home against Cleveland, 19 points on the road against the Steelers. Uh, 21 on the road against the Browns, maybe. Whatever that score that game was that we lost when Huntley played had to come in for Lamar. My point is, I feel like there's a time in the season for the second year in a row where our offense is dipping, and it's interesting to me that a guy like Zeitler's grades would be low, corresponding to that, that dip in this second year. Hopefully, I'm saying that in a way that makes sense.
0: No, I, I think I think it's worth watching, and and unfortunately, I don't know if we're going to be able to really separate that week to week variation from what may be a more serious dip in play from the constrained playbook that they'll have with Tyler Huntley. Yeah, yeah, so, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So anyway, let me move on here if I can very cool. Uh, to, to Moses as a D for Zeitler in this game. Moses had all kinds of trouble from the bull rush. All three of the guys, Cooper, Martin, and Browning, gave him a little bit of it, but Cooper in particular backed him up a number of times. And you didn't think of Moses as being, you know, a mountain of a man. You don't monolithic in terms of how he is. He mirrors a little bit. He moves his feet a little bit to try and maintain position, but he just gave up way too much room in terms of the horizontal pocket size in this game. And that was, uh, you know, Cooper Martin and Browning all getting good push on him. Eleven missed blocks in this game. Now, eight of those are losses at the line of scrimmage, and a lot of those were times where he was getting backed up, but the ball was out quickly. So it wasn't just, uh, you know, the, the the plays he had. He had five pressures, but that was actually parts of seven events. So it was three three full and four half
3: right right game. gotcha
0: so ooh, that's that's not good um he has he has really played pretty well for the ravens but a great signing uh, i think in general uh couldn't be more happy well okay i could be a little more happy but i couldn't be a lot more happy uh with how he's played I mean, him his grades he's he's been consistently in in kind of the b range for most yeah. of the year but but he had a d this game and and it's his third bad game of the year he's had a d a d plus and an f um f came against buffalo and they're they're uh, very solid edge rushers. So this one, he squeaked in kind of at the bottom of the D range in this game and uh, didn't look good doing it. And I think, uh, you know, we, we talk about, you know, it's not all Huntley. It's also not all the guys on the left side who who were, you know, legitimately quite bad in this game. But But I think that Moses was not having his usual game and that's going to create some serious additional pocket problems for Huntley as it goes on. Huntley's you know, performance, you, you, I think you have to upgrade it more and more with the with the accuracy he had and, and some of the balls he was able to throw and, and uh, you know, basically staying out of trouble for most of the game. He did throw the one interception, but I think you have to up, upgrade his performance by the fact that, you know, the, the pocket was falling around. Uh, yeah, that's a
3: great, running. that's a great way to describe it. You know, in from what you're talking about is like the the constraints that were there naturally because of the way the guys performed around him. And he was still able to reach the the extent or the, the highest point of that constraint. So I like, I like the way you put that. I think Moses has generally played well. Like you said, he did have trouble with, um, did we say earlier 53 is Cooper? Cooper. Yeah. He's very strong. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the guy was saying, you know, does the jerk move on run play sometimes? Uh, I was surprised with Moses, you know, and, and there was a game earlier in the year. Maybe it was the Buffalo game, like you said, where he played really poor, really poor. And I actually said to the guys in the discord, I was like, he looks like someone who, and I I, I hesitate to use this word. He looks like someone who suffered a concussion during the game and we, and we don't, (laughs) we don't know it. Well, do you remember the, you remember the game where he pulled the wrong direction twice? He pulled. No. He pulled in the wrong direction okay. twice, yeah. And then the next week comes back, and I think was was one of his best games of the season. So it may have been whoever we played before Tampa Bay, or whoever we played after Buffalo. I remember a two week stretch where he played really horrible one week, and then the next week show up and played fantastic. But overall, I agree, like you said, he's been he's been Buffalo. solid for us. This is going to be his biggest test this week it, against he's had Steelers.
0: Two big changes: Buffalo, Cincinnati was F to A. And then he had Cleveland to Tampa Bay was D plus to A.
3: That so was it. Yeah. Cleveland to Tampa Bay. Twice in the Cleveland game, he pulled in the wrong direction.
0: Do me a favor, Coach. Send me those timestamps. I want to yeah. look at those plays again and see how I had them graded. But I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm interested to look at that.
3: He runs into Zeitler on one of them in the third quarter against the Browns. And after the play, maybe he runs into Linderbaum. After the play, they look at each other like, why yeah. did you – how did this happen? You know, but that's been the anomaly because I think Moses, I, like you said, I think he's been pretty good and we got him for another year, right?
0: We got him. I think we've got him for two more years. I think he signed yeah. three and this is number one. So
3: I like his attitude too, like his approach, he seems charismatic.
0: Yeah, definitely a leader in, in, in terms of that let's jump in and do some of the um, individual player discussion here. And I, you, know, I like to just leave this open ended, bring up a player, maybe that we haven't talked about so far on offense, what you saw about him from this game. Maybe it troubled you. Maybe it didn't. I have some guys I want to talk about. We're not going to go through this whole list, by the way. I'm just going to tell you. We're going to have to move on quickly, go to the MVPs, yeah. and a little bit of mailbag if we could do that tonight, Coach. Yeah,
3: likely. Um, I, the one thing I like is, or enjoy, and I think we're going to have to do more of maybe, is put him to the boundary, away from the nickel defender, and and maybe try to find ways to isolate him on, on linebackers like we did um against uh, the linebacker number 49 on that 12-yard catch he had on the final drive. Now, I believe that was to the field, so that doesn't go to my point. But Likely's ability to cut and to make people – to break tackles Mm -hmm. is unusual for our team. You know, it's not that – I'm not saying our guys aren't athletic, but he is a guy who is better at it than some of our other players are. I mean, Mark Andrews breaks some tackles. You know, Gus in the run game breaks some tackles. But downfield catching the ball – And then getting another six, seven yards. Those two plays he had against Tampa Bay, I think it was Tampa Bay, catching and then like, you know, dragging four guys for like another eight yards. And then the other one where he caught it, juked a guy, and and ran for like another 12 yards, those seem to be anomalies um, based on the guys we get the ball to, I feel like downfield. You can tell me if, you know, where you are with that.
0: I, I, you know, I'm, I'm cycling through the Ravens receivers. We see some of that from Duvernay, some, some escapability, but I don't think he's not a power guy. Um, we see some from Robinson. I think I, he, uh, if I had to ascribe some to some of the current guys, Robinson is not always a fall-down guy, even when he catches a um, uh, a ball in front of the defender. Uh, totally not, agree. Looking to make a play.
3: But oh, guys, he can make people yeah. miss. Love his game.
0: Yeah, you, you got the guys labeled out there correctly. I, I hope they can use likely more. Been very happy with how he's evolved as a, as a blocker. In some ways, even though that has less impact on the game in terms of the leverage of the results he's creating – his run blocking is going to keep him in games where he's going to be that threat to the opposing defensive coordinator that you really want a tight end to be. And that's what I really love about
3: him. Absolutely. Feel like, feel like, you know, likely next year is going to be a guy that plays, you know, twice as much as he is this year. And that's even with Mark Andrews being on the field, which you know sounds crazy. I think, I mean, it, it, to anyone listening, it should, it should make perfect sense to them that we're going to be replacing Patrick Ricard with Isaiah likely and Charlie Kohler. That's just, it should be obvious.
0: I, I think, you know, how how much Kolar plays is an interesting thing. Let's talk about him for a second because, you know, there's a lot of comment about why Boyle and not Kolar. I think we have to take our cues to a certain degree by the fact that he's not on the active list, that things are not going perfectly in practice. Something is not making him an obvious choice over Boyle in practice. Or I think the coaches would just make the choice and, and make the move. Yeah. Uh, I, so, you know, I, what I do want to see Hopefully is an opportunity for Kolar to fail forward this year, where he doesn't spend his whole developmental component of the year. He's it's got about half the value of it maybe from the practice, but he needs to see some real live fire and yeah. take that into 2023 and say, I failed at this and, and now I can do better and, and fix these things about my game.
3: I think the two guys that most of us as Ravens fans are frustrated to, you know, to not see out there is is Kolar and Ojabo. You know, and that and that makes sense. I get it. Now, but I will, you know, it's always, um, it's always based on the situation. If Isaiah likely was not on this team, you know, and maybe Josh Oliver hadn't improved, you know, certain elements of his game, but he's, he's still, he's still limited in terms of certain things. Mm-hmm. If, if we only had Oliver and Andrews, I think it's more possible that Colar gets out there. You know, if Likely wasn't around, I think it's just based. I think it's just limited. The limiting factor is the fact that Isaiah Likely is playing quite well. Same thing with Ojabo. We now have guys at the edge. We now have depth out there. So we don't, quote, need him. If we were not, if we had a dearth of edge rushers or outside linebackers, then Ojabo would probably be active already. That's my perception. But, you know, what you said is probably accurate as well, that maybe the coaches just aren't seeing, you know, overwhelming um, execution, and that's why he's not getting on the field.
0: Well, two two weeks ago, likely was inactive with an injury, and that would have been the time for Kolar to play. And we can't go back to that point. But but what I'm saying is that if he didn't get a nod over a player like Boyle or over any special teams player to move into that role, then I think there's a possibility he just just doesn't see it the rest of the year. Doesn't see the field the rest of the year. So yeah. Well, you know, we'll we'll see where he is. Hopefully, the, each of these guys. We have a meaningless Cincinnati game at the end of the year. That's the hopefully comma. We have a meaningless game against Cincinnati. Yeah. If that, if that, and actually maybe I don't want to don't want to root for that because it could be that the the Ravens are the team that needs that Cincinnati game to mean something. At the end of it is a meaningless game, then that may be the good opportunity to get Kolar and Ajabo out there uh, where they're not. You know they're they're resting people for the playoffs. They're they're they're, you know they're getting ready to go and and these guys have some opportunity to to get live fire at the NFL level.
3: Yeah, they need it. I mean, like you said, you get the benefit of being in the practices and going to the meetings and preparing and watching the film, but you need to have the opportunity to fail. You know, here's your here's your assignment on these 10 or 12 plays. I would I would almost like to see Kolar get, you know, 10 or 12 plays. And um, I forget the team that does it. It's the Lions. That's right. Jamison Williams came back this week for the Lions, and he got eight snaps. And um, Dan Campbell, you know, first of all, they've done a great job there, mm-hmm. if you ask me. He has um, in keeping that team afloat, and now they're rolling in Detroit. And he's said multiple times with injured players coming back. Is that we want to plan? We want to have them prepare, have them go to practice, have them get ready before the game, have them have something to execute eight or ten plays, and you're done. Now that seems crazy because it's a 53 man roster. But point is, he hasn't gone through that process at all. And Kolar and Ojabo need that, you know, for themselves and for you know the organization to see what they're capable of. Yeah.
0: Well, it's, what about it's, it's, Duvernay? Yeah, you start us off, and I'll, I'll uh, chime in.
3: What about what about Duvernay? How did you feel about DuVernay or, or with I was, Huntley in?
0: I, I, I'm sorry. I'm not muted. I, what, I, what I want to say is why don't you go ahead first? I felt like I went first on Colarb, and I'll, I'll chime in.
3: Oh, my bad. I'm interested to see what we do, if how, how involved DuVernay is with Huntley uh, playing against the Steelers, which we can assume he's going to. Um, I think I, I could go either way in terms of what I would guess or presume might happen. You know, we run less quote gimmick plays and dude doesn't see the ball as much. But I, I will tell you, and this is um, you know, this is not something that's fun to say. Do you remember from last year when OBJ went to the Rams and his exit from the Browns, his father released a video on social media showing him not getting the ball a lot? I'm talking about OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr. Um, <clears throat> His father released a video of like 12 plays where he's open. He's not getting thrown the ball. The, you know, the idea was, hey, he's available. They're just not throwing him the football. You could do the same thing with Devin DuVernay from 2022. There's plenty of times where he's open and he's not getting the ball. And it's not just the one from this past week against, um, against the Broncos. I would say, in my opinion, there's eight to 10 plays this year, where if you wanted to be negative, like, you know, that situation, how that was handled, Um, but it worked out for OBJ. If you wanted to be negative about it, if you were a big Devin DuVernay fan, you could say, he's open. Why aren't we getting him the ball? Now, you know, there's a read progression there. There's whatever Lamar's told in his helmet. I wonder if he's going to get the ball more or less with Huntley as quarterback. What do you think?
0: More, um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, when the Ravens have been really struggling with, you know, trying to find their identity on offense duvernay is one of the guys they've turned to so i think that one of the possible options is to make this offense more dangerous by showing say a 10 personnel look mm. so four, four receivers one tight end and having duvernay be a guy you line up in the backfield sometimes yeah. so you sometimes can go empty and sometimes you can line them up in the backfield they don't know what how it's exactly going to be coming and he, he represents a a substantial threat when combined with Huntley to do some of the things that you can do with Lamar in there. It's right. still never going to be like with Lamar, but but you you have that. They've they have given him the ball on the jet sweep a lot. It's generally been successful. Not a hundred percent. No play is, but I think that's been one of their really good plays when they've wanted to pick up important yards. Is is they'll give it to Duvernay and, and really threaten the outside, and teams have to respect it.
3: Yeah, it's a read. I mean, the way we do it, the jet sweep is going. To the side of the running back, so the way the way teams have to fit it Mm -hmm. is they have to dedicate someone outside the running back who's the lead blocker, and they have to dedicate someone inside the running back to tackle Duvernay. So it yes, it looks like a two for two trade, but usually that second defender who's inside of you know inside meaning in not not wider than the running back, the guy who's fitting there is normally a second level defender. So that opens up the QB power. It's it's just QB power read. You know, so it's been an effective play and and Lamar and Huntley read it great. I'd like to see us run it more. It's, you know, yards per play. It's probably our best concept.
0: Yeah, it it definitely has been very good. And even if even to the degree, even when you don't run it, it's creating value, whether it's been Lamar up the middle or, you know, edge runs with Hill, uh, even some off tackle runs with with players like Edwards and Drake. You get value out of that. You get get horizontal stretch. But the, the big value of it is, when you get teams to run themselves out of position by trying to cover either that back or DuVernay and it creates a huge up the middle hole for Lamar, where a linebacker has, has waylaid his assignment. Yeah. Vacated. Vacated.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Vacated. And, and the, the, the thing we haven't done a good job of taking advantage of, we're kind of parlaying or shifting over a little bit here is we haven't attacked the backside enough. So like DuVernay motioning away from Robinson, we're going to get man to man. Every single team, that has seen that formation and DuVernay motioning is playing man-to-man backside. Now there are negative Nancy people out there who would say, well, they're doing that because uh, we don't have good receivers. No, they're doing that because that's the way you have to play it. Because numbers wise, you need all 10 other guys to stop the, the QB power or the sweep. You just do. And then we, we did attack backside twice. I think once against the saints and maybe once against the, not the Jags, the Panthers great catch on the right sideline against the Panthers by Demarcus Robinson on a throw by Lamar. Um, you probably remember it on the right Go sideline. Yeah. Wonderful. We need to do that more often and then, you know, create those one-on-ones for, you know, Demarcus Robinson, Deshaun Jackson, whoever guys who can, you know, make people miss even put Isaiah likely back there. I think there's more that can be done, even though we're you know going to be limited without Lamar.
0: Outstanding stuff, just just uh, fantastic stuff. I want to bring up one more player, and in his case, it's not a, not for a good thing, and that's Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson almost cost the Ravens the ball game uh, in this, and it was at the end of the first half that this happened. It's available in, in to my eyes at the game, unfortunately, but uh, they ran a concept. where He ran a fairly deep route. It wasn't all the way down the field. They ran a fairly deep route against Patrick Sertan um, on the. Uh, last second-to-last play of the first half, and then they had to get back on sides to spike the ball. Well, mm. unfortunately, the first instinct for Deshaun Jackson was to jaw at Sertan or maybe chat with Sertan or talk to Sertan anyway in some way after that play was over. He hesitated a couple seconds. He got back on side late. He was the last guy to get back on sides, even though the left-side receiver might have been likely, might have been Robinson, I'm not sure which, but he had his hand up, and he's going to be the guy on the line of scrimmage. Yeah at that point he was also late getting back, but Deshaun Jackson was a full second later and they were only one second late.
3: And that second is the second we needed, right?
0: That's the one. And then, and then it was still a bit of a long field goal, but you know, it's the kind of thing where you take that chance. You, it's not a, it's not a big risk. Let's see. Their last snap came from, and that drive came from the Denver 45. So it would have been a 63 yard field goal. Right. But if you're looking at the, at the two 63 yard field goals, the one that fortunately they missed at the end of the game, and the Ravens had at the end of the half, you'd certainly like to have both of those go to the decision. Yeah, yeah. To have you only needing to win one of two to win the game.
3: Yeah, I feel like – I. <clears throat> you can correct me if I'm wrong. Well, you were there live. I seem to remember that it was 11 seconds when Andrews is tackled, and then the linebacker
2: – Stayed like, on
3: him. Stayed on him smartly. You know, they need to call that more often, let's be honest, but it's tough for the refs to call in that situation. Um So I don't know if that one specifically needs to be called. I think the ref gets the ball in his hands with nine seconds left. It's a, we always said to ourselves, if we were ever in that situation, we felt like to realistically uh, get the refs to (laughs) get the ref, whoever the ref is, whatever age and shape he's in Mm -hmm. to, to get the ball down and spot it. We probably felt comfortable that could happen if there was 12 seconds. Now, Realistically, the refs tell us that they should be able to get that done if it's eight seconds. That's what they tell us at the NFL level. Um, I don't know what that number is. I'm, I'm sure that conversation has happened before because I don't know how the NFL works, but I know how high school works. We get to re- we get to meet with the refs associations before the year, and we get to ask them questions. And it's very informal. You're eating and you're you're trying to develop a relationship, so it's you know not. So butting heads during the season, and that was one of the questions that we asked multiple years in a row: is how long is it going to take for you guys to get the ball spotted from the time that it's there? Because we were hurry up for certain years, so we wanted to know, you know. Uh, and their answer was eight seconds, and we never believed them. So I agree with you that he needs to get back to the line. You know, I would say, however, that I think it's—I don't know what—what what would you say? It is fifty-fifty that the refs get the ball spotted in time or not. I don't that know. That
0: ball was spotted in time. In, in, in that that particular ball was spotted in time for there to be a be a snap there. But Jackson wasn't on side. And so that yeah. was to me the limiting factor there. It was he, he cost them at least one second of that's what okay, could, yeah. What's the in, in the operations research? There's a lag time, I think is the is the thing, but I'm gonna get the name for it, whatever wrong. Jackson, although he spent two or three two seconds maybe drawing with Sertan downfield, um, it was one second he cost them in terms of relative to the other slower processes that were going on right that that it cost, but that was the one second and you know it it certainly could have cost him a ball game unfortunately it didn't but i i i just did not like it as a hustle play from jackson he's got to be a better team player than that
3: and it's also illustrative of the margin for error that there is in the nfl i mean that that one second i think of that uh I think of that Al Pacino speech for the football movie. Yep, where he inches. says, you know, "The inches we need are all around us." Well, that's one second, and that's that's an that's a point to make to players, uh, young players, or, or you know, kids that, that people coaches is, is you never know which second is going to be the one that matters. And certainly, I'm sure Deshaun Jackson would say, "You know, I wish I had gotten back." It was a deeper route downfield. You said,
0: "Yeah, it was." It was a deeper route. You could see on the all twenty-two <laughs> because he's off it. That it's a it's a deep route, Um, but at the stadium you can see Jackson is just standing there, 30 35 yards downfield doesn't hustle. can't do it. Yeah,
3: can't and you can't sub in that scenario because a you may not be on our sideline anyway, and b you you know you can't sub because if you do then you give then a defense has to have an opportunity to sub too. That's right. Yeah, you know, missed missed opportunity. It shows you really the margin for error for. Uh, this team with the injury status that we have. I mean, we can all complain about injuries if we want because everybody has it across the NFL. But, I mean, it's a real thing. When Lamar goes out, you see the difference in the offense, um, obviously. And then when Hamilton goes out, <laughs> you see the difference in the defense. So, mm-hmm. so that it, you know, it's a great point. The larger point for me, you know, besides Deshaun Jackson, you got—you got you to hustle and get back there, period, is the margin for error we as fans think we have is not realistic. You know, not right now. With Stanley out, Lamar Lamar out, Bateman out, the margin for error is smaller. That's okay. That does that shouldn't frustrate us as much as it is. It's reality. It's reflective of life. Sometimes you, um, your margin for error in your job or your relationship or whatever is smaller than you think it is, and you need to tighten up your operations. That's what the Ravens need to do now.
0: You're right, and and you know, in some ways, it it ought to really make them focus on what their goals are in terms of managing their injuries. Now I'm talking about specifically, because this is, they're going to try and win every game, but in terms of of who they are actually willing to activate and take chances with have them on the field, the players are going to decide some of that. You know, they ought to be looking at trying to win two ball games right now. And that means giving up a little bit in terms of their chance to, to win the division, to make sure they make the playoffs. And it is not a sure thing. If they lose these four divisional games, they are probably out. And They will be an underdog in every one of those four. I I would guess.
3: It makes it so. I forget what the quote is. It's like a. a it's it's such a dynamic. That's crazy to predict because what if the Bengals win every game, from here on out, mm-hmm. then, they have no interest and no need to win the final game, right? So so that becomes, right now in our brains, um, everything you said is accurate. First of all, right now in our brains, we're looking at, oh, that's going to be a difficult game for us to win it either is going to be very difficult to win or it's going to be very simple to win you know so but ha- but having said that like uh the one thing i want to mention and you something you said spurred it on me on in my brain is the um how big of a risk did you think it was with hamilton playing this week and how concerned were you when he went down and then how surprised were you when he came back and played so well
0: late uh in, in I was I was bothered by when I saw him limping off, I was I was concerned about that. He played almost almost every snap. There were only a couple snaps where they used a um a dime with a slot corner where they put Ardarius Washington in. But otherwise I believe he was in for every single nickel snap. Yes. So he's he uh you know, from from that perspective, I'm I'm he is so far in a and away the best option they have at slot corner right now, it's not even funny. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other four guys that they can bring in as a third corner, all are, you know, would hurt the defense. So he's absolutely critical. And I'm actually very concerned about the teams that can put 10 on the field. And, you know, Buffalo, if you face them in the playoffs, for example, Cincinnati in that last week, they can put 10 on the field. They don't typically do it, but, you know, hey, they'll, they'll scheme for the Ravens and they might do it differently.
3: Yeah, I call with the 11, the 11 personnel glitch. You know that's what it. That's what most of these teams are 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 doing. The Bills and the Bengals primarily, or you know, Chiefs as well. But uh, did you did you think it was a a concern? Like for example, you brought it up. You know, trying to navigate which players to make active. You know, in order to win two games, or maybe win three, or whatever. Hamilton, looking back on it, we know the result. You know, he finished the game. Mm -hmm. I still think it was a risk to play him. It seemed like uh, based on the injury he had. Queen would be the one this week, right? That would be in the same situation.
0: You know, Queen has a bruise. I think it's going to be more of a pain management issue for him. And I, I'm not a doctor. You know, I, I'm yeah. I, I don't play one on TV. Well, um, no, I mean
3: from the the standpoint of you know which players to try to be active. Like, I think like the the risk of injury from a from a bruise, the risk of re injury is not yeah. as serious. You as know with what I mean? Ligament
0: issues. Yeah, yeah. As, as with
3: ligament issues. So yeah. like a sprain or something not bringing in the Lamar issue. So I thought it was funny how they, the the team apparently put a, uh, put some kind of award in Queens locker because he was a great
0: actor. That was hilarious. So I think, I I think, you know, he says, Harbaugh says he's going to be fine. He's not usually that definitive, but um, I really do believe queen will be playing this next week. And yeah, uh, you know, given what the defense has to do, I mean, this is the 1965 Colts. Again, they've got Tom Maddy in there playing quarterback who was exciting to watch and was, uh, you know, I've I've my experience with it is with the 1965 Colts highlight film. So I'm seeing the best of Tom Maddie at quarterback. Oh, come on, man. That, just a and, highlight film. You didn't watch
3: him live. <laughs> and
0: I am. I am, uh, was two at the time. So I would have I <laughs> missed that season, unfortunately. So anyway, it's uh, it's uh, this team is, is going to win if they do based on the defense. And, and one of the nice things relative to 21 is that this team is much more um, built to potentially win with Huntley than the the 21 team that 21 team was decimated in the secondary and and yeah they'll get behind and there was just no way to catch up against teams that could really throw the ball and even against teams that that couldn't do a whole lot against them offensively like the Steelers at the end of last season they still you know really struggled to to uh, put it together And, and it was a lot of credit to Huntley on how close he kept those games yeah but there were a lot there you know there's a lot of limitations and hopefully this year Huntley is able to win with some of these limitations on the offense uh, because the defense really comes up big for him.
3: Puts him in a better situation because of how, you know, how how drastically improved the defense is, especially at this point. Like we know what our defense can do. We know what our guys can do when they're out there. We get Marcus Williams back, you know, that would be a, a help as well. Although I've, I've, I've enjoyed you know, watching Geno Stone play, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed, you know, to be honest with you, I, I have recognized and even in some of my film studies, um, you know, recognize some of the deficiencies that Clark has had, but I've enjoyed, you know, how he's played. I think those two guys, I think they made the right tactical decision, you know, moving Hamilton forward and mm-hmm. Stone and Clark back. Although if you were to look at Chuck Clark, you'd say he's a strong safety. Like, he's a strong safety. Uh, and th- those guys have handled it well, generally, with you know some big exceptions.
0: Now we talked about the some on the defensive show, but I th- I think Chuck's natural position is dime back, and so I I do am expecting one of the Ravens' um, schemes is going to be go to a uh, four safety dime that they play when they have Marcus Williams back, assuming there's no more injuries. And you know that's a very tough yeah. That's correct, but they'll have Marcus Williams on the back end every play. They can have Stone on the back end to split the field on yeah. obvious passing downs. They can bring Clark up that dimeback spot where I think he gives you more in coverage than Queen and more opportunities to disrupt a play in the middle of the field.
3: I'm going to be honest with you. I agree with you 100%. Mm-hmm. There, there, there needs to be times where we have three defensive linemen on the field. In some of these late-game situations, the math does not work. And, and this is not a popular opinion. Um, I'm okay expressing it to you because I know this is not a defensive show, so you can just edit this out. We don't. the (laughs) The math does not work for us to be rushing. Let's let's do it this way: fourth and eight against the Jags, and they complete the pass over the top of Marcus Peters. Number one, we play a dumb coverage adjustment. We're trying to trick Trevor Lawrence. And Geno Stone is not put in position to succeed. But number two, it's fourth and eight. A sack doesn't win the game. An incomplete pass does. A sack, you know, clearly does win the game, but we don't need to be so hungry for a sack to win the game. An incomplete pass wins the game. There's so many times where we are hungry for a sack in these third and long situations. Or these fourth down situations where one incomplete pass wins the game. I feel like there's more incomplete passes in an NFL game than there are sacks. I might be way wrong. You're the stats guy. Tell me if I'm wrong.
0: No, you're but, you're, you're not wrong. But but you know pressure creates incomplete passes too. So of
3: course, of course it does. But like uh, there are such there has to be a line at some point whereby which you know we can create pressure with three guys. You know we used to have a guy here named Rex Ryan that was crazy enough to blitz two or sometimes three guys off the same edge. All quarterbacks are right-handed. We can blitz you from the defense's left, the offense's right, make you roll out to the left, which you identified earlier in our first show, is like death for a right-handed quarterback. Well, we haven't done those things once in any of those situations. I am I am confident in our defense. I am not confident in our attempts to be cute in some of these late-game situations and try to fool people instead of just executing
0: i just bring back one thing from the defensive show that came up. A lot of very extreme packages this week, and we saw the first two instances this year of what I call the race car formation, which is a four Mm -hmm. outside linebacker set. And a lot of people talk NASCAR, you know, in terms of formation, and it's really what I would call a rush dime or a rush nickel look where they put three outside linebackers on the field and bump one of them inside. Mm -hmm. The Ravens using four is very much a Martindale era, Uh, Relic being brought back and now having, you know, a Java was potentially a fifth offensive uh, outside linebacker who can be activated. I, I predict the Ravens are going to go to that. And and in this first game back with it, they got run left minus one and sack minus five on the two plays. They did it. I'd like to see it. Yeah. There's, I think we'll see a lot more for outside linebacker. The other thing that the Ravens are really built to do is play 32 dime. If you don't want, if you don't want queen or, and, and uh, Roquan off the field, I understand that. Have Queen be a roaming guy along the line of scrimmage because he's usually going to rush him anyway. Exactly. And, exactly. and and leave Roquan in the game to handle some good downhill tackling, put Chuck Clark in there at dime back, and you can still have Hamilton Hamilton, the slot right. corner. Yeah.
3: There's nothing wrong with your second level guys being Clark, Smith, Hamilton. At all, and and queen. That's why I was talking about earlier. There's nothing wrong with having. It's exactly the same thing I said, except you know you didn't say defensive lineman. You just said three two. The, as far as the four outside linebackers, as one is as long as one of those is Ojabo, I think you're in a great situation. Excuse me, as long as one of those is Bowser, because he can drop out and he can cover and pass. You know, I, I feel like we're we're gonna be when we're healthy. Defensively, we can still win games. It wouldn't surprise me if we can figure out a way to win three games here, even with Huntley. It wouldn't surprise me, but it also wouldn't surprise me if we only win one.
0: Well, if they win one in the division, they've still got a chance, and uh, and uh, in particular, they've still even got a chance to win the division, even if they only win one game uh, in the division and, and yeah. beat Atlanta. But if they win one game in the division, then and that you know Cincinnati would have to lose two, but you're probably one of the games might be to Baltimore, so you hope you could get there. Um, but even if they if they got to ten wins, they're likely to win a wild card. If yeah. that's if that's at the worst, so uh, I don't see the Chargers, for example, recovering to to go ten and seven at this point. Let's talk MVPs now for this game because we're we're, we're kind of way over time here. But I, w- I want to get your three two one on offensive MVPs. You want to start us off? Offensive
3: M- with Tyler Huntley.
0: Okay. So is he, is he your number three guy? Or your number one guy? Number one. Okay. Number so- one. He's my number one guy, too. you got to, you got let's go one, two, three then who's your number number two guy? We talked so much about Huntley. I don't think we need to do it again. Number two well,
3: it's this is not a this is not reflective of the entire game, but the awareness of Drake to adapt on in the middle of that play in the moment. um, I said this in one of my videos. I think my reaction video you talk about winning plays like in other sports, you know. Major League Baseball in the big moments, in the ninth inning, you've got the closer in the game for, at pitching. You got presumably your best guy in that situation. In the NBA, it's your best player is taking the last shot. In our winning play, we had a backup quarterback and a third string running back who huh. was cut. You know that to, that to me is a is is an outlier. You know that's a very rare thing, and just speaks to the the play that was made. So. I'm gonna say Kenyon Drake just because of that one play. And I know that's not gonna be yours.
0: No, that's that's cool. And that's a that's a great point in terms of Drake. Obviously, a very dangerous pass. And Drake getting to that spot, uh, you know, where where basically there was an empty spot on the field is exactly what you'd hope for from a receiver adapting to that thing. And I think he just reacted to the throw as opposed to reacting to uh tracking a football thrown to a spot that was that that was uh uh What he should expect to see, you you understand the difference I'm saying between those two things, but 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 it was it was a great play by Drake. I I I loved the play by Drake. I hated the throw, frankly, by Huntley. I thought it was had a good chance to lose the game, but you know it's it's long three point shot. No no no. Yes.
3: (laughs) Hey, hey, we used to have a saying: uh, "Scared money don't make money." So. Tyler Huntley was not scared and, and I so I'll say Drake but I know there's probably a better choice there. So anyway, go ahead.
0: I went with Mark Andrews. Now, he, he, you know, on the yeah. fi- he had only four receptions and 50 some yards, 53 yards I think uh, receiving. But the big thing was that he drew two huge penalties on that final drive. Obviously, mm-hmm. he drew the helmet to helmet hit and he knew just how to ask for it, not blatantly just, you know, pointed to his head and, you know, the flags came out. Uh I think there, he was going to get it anyway. But the other thing is on the pass interference play, He knew just try to react. To Sertan yeah. running him over, uh, you know. There's no, no point in trying to hold your ground on that particular play. You're not going to catch the ball. Just let Sertan run you over and make it obvious. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know he's he's such a big guy. And It's almost like I wouldn't expect him Sertan with a running start to be able to knock him down. Yeah. No. <laughs> but uh, but uh, it was a good it was a good play. I thought Andrews. Uh, you know, for the, for those two plays alone, uh, but also for some of the other contributions he made with some bigger plays earlier. Getting very open in this game. Yeah. Uh, was good.
3: I thought he was open twice, and didn't get the ball thrown to him. Well, that that play that we talked about with Drake, I think there is a window there, um, in between the hashes to get him the football. Um, I think we're getting ready to see Andrews have a couple of big games like he did last year when Huntley, you know, took over. Of course, he had big games with Lamar early in the season last year too. So I like that pick. All right, I get—is it me or you for thir- third? You,
0: you, you, it's always you first. <laughs> Who's your third guy?
3: I like Demarcus Robinson. Okay. I like Demarcus Robinson because he takes advantage of the opportunities he has. Uh now this is we're talking about this game specifically, but look, Demarcus Robinson should have three or maybe even four more touchdowns this year. I'm talking about if accurate throws were delivered on plays. He should have he should have had one against the Jets. He should have had one against the Saints. And I forget who the other well, yeah. the, the last the game draw. last week. Yeah, yeah the, the game against the Jags, right? Well then I guess it's two, two then, right? One he dropped one and the one that was the overthrow in the first possession of the game. DeMarcus Robinson. I'll take him this list. We got the six catches, 46 yards, something like that.
0: Yeah, that's a seven seven of eight recepted. so uh, I've got it in front of me here. Seven of eight for 41. So not a great yards per target no. game, but but I agree. I mean, he's he's valuable and and that's the way the offense is going to be run. There's going to be a lot of five and six yards per target guys the rest of this year with Tyler Huntley, a quarterback, and with the left tackle situation being what it is. So they have to, you know, survive and adapt to some of those constraints.
3: Spread the ball around to multiple guys. I even said that in my reaction video. Um, if you're looking at the stats, I thought we completed passes to eight guys.
0: Uh, what are the rest of Nine. Nine. Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, I think that's pretty unique. I don't think that's in line with what we have generally had. And I could be wrong there.
0: That's definitely true. And they've, they've been some games with Lamar where they've only gone to five or six guys the whole game. And there's been other games where they've, they've scripted to have Lamar spread the ball out. And they've kind of been back and forth between those two uh, in some of the recent weeks. And uh, it's, you know, I think with Huntley, I, I think you're right. I think spreading the ball out is going to be more valuable and more useful in terms of using different skies to scheme up a quick throw in different places, yeah. not always have it go to Andrews or likely or whoever
3: and i think it i think it also touches on or maybe you know delves into a discussion that i've had with people in real life like in person like is football art or science it's both and what i mean by that is like more guys touching the ball reminds me of the golden state warriors like where the ball or the san antonio spurs is a better example where the ball moves from one side of the court one side of court to the other seamlessly and by the time you reach the end of the game a, a, a seventh best player for the Spurs has touched the ball 50 times versus the seventh best player for whatever team has only touched the ball 15 times. Is a guy like Kenyon Drake more likely to make a play on the, in the last minute after he's touched the ball more often and been involved? I think there's something there. I think there's something there in terms of sharing the ball.
0: Yeah, so the guy who's touched the ball less times is likely to be, have more of a good opportunity at the football Get less shade. No, no, no.
3: I mean, I mean, when you've been involved, when you've been integrated, when you've when you've been a part of the the game, and you've been utilized um, and given an opportunity, even if it's only two or three, you're more likely to um, be able to have a positive impact the later the game goes on because you've been involved.
0: Okay, fair enough. I I can uh, I could see it that way too. Speculation,
3: uh, you know, speculation.
0: I could toss in my number three MVP guy here because I want to get to a couple of these mailbag questions. I'm going to give it to Ben Powers. I, I had Powers and Linderbaum originally as being kind of equivalent to this. And then I remembered Linderbaum did get out of a pressure. Powers really outscored him by a grade level. It's it's appropriate to recognize Powers for a game like this where things went well from a pass-blocking perspective. They did not generally go well for the Ravens from a pass-blocking perspective in this game. and And he really deserves some credit.
3: Yeah, because that's an he's an he's the outlier compared to our past production overall. No great choice. I, I I'm tracking that. You know, I didn't pick a lineman. Usually, I would. My my third choice was going to be Roquan Smith, but I was trying to keep it, you know, offense related since I am an offensive guy. Suddenly,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm afraid to say that Roquan Smith might be our top offensive player at some point the remainder of the season based on how things look. He might he might be the the scoring threat we have on the field. So yeah, uh, fantastic okay, player. Couple, i I just loved what he did in this last game. Couple mailbag questions. Got a got a quick one here from Andrew Kanazeski who says, "Free Ben Cleveland." It's you're good to put comments or uh, uh, questions in here. We it's a great comment. Uh, I think we we've addressed it a little bit earlier that the coaches are seeing both Powers and Cleveland play. We know Powers is having a pretty good year here at at left guard. I like everybody else. I want to see who Ben Cleveland is. You know, I agree. But, uh, but if there's not a place for him, there's not a place for
3: him. So, um, first of all, it's cool, you know, that someone brings that up, you know, like use more words next time. though. be descriptive. Like what kind of outcome are you looking for here? When you say free Ben Cleveland, like I get comments like that on my YouTube channel. It's like three words. I'm like, all right, I don't know whether I want to respond to my comments that only use three words. Um, you know, so be descript- be a little more descriptive next time. Look, they gave him a cameo last year, the last four games, games of the mm-hmm. season. I feel like they gave him an opportunity uh, one of the guys that played for us in high school and went on to play in college, he did an exhaustive study of of that and, and found that Cleveland was a little bit better pass blocker than we would have assumed in those four games, and he was not as good of a run blocker as we would have assumed in those four games, which I think would have been the original um, assumption, right? Good run blocker, not good in pass pro. Uh,
0: I don't know how – uh, I, I, he had definitely some qualities coming out of Georgia that were very positive as a pass blocker, including processing being at a high level. So yeah, so that that was something that it, that I liked about him specifically. But I also he's much better athlete than Bradley Bozeman was. So I figured he'd be a better puller, and he's not. He, he's you know he's, he's not. He's, he's ponderous and has a lot of problems with his feet.
3: Yeah, missed. We felt like it, we felt like some of the times in the, in the, that four game stretch not only did he miss but he didn't get there <laughs> you know, he didn't he didn't even get there to miss uh, so in terms of the the question or the the comment if it we've played 12 games this year if there was a reason or some kind of um, positive outcome to be had by putting him on the field over Ben Powers I think they would have done so so I'm not sure I'm not sure how how that happens at this point
0: yeah I, I mean you know I brought this up last year as being a possibility, and the tackle situation was atrocious, including at right tackle. But I think you know if you wanted to maximize the chance for Ben Cleveland getting on the field, and and there's a problem with McCarey that is real. I think Ben Cleveland might become your your next tackle option. Yeah, you yeah, if, really think about that, and it might could be Powers also, but but I think it could be Ben Cleveland.
3: Well, because Cleveland's going to be active, right?
0: Everybody so has to be active at this point. <laughs>
3: Yeah, but I mean, so so let's say McCart- what I'm saying is Macari is not active because of injury, let's mm-hmm. say. Then then essentially Cleveland becomes your Macari. He's your guy who can replace Philele. He's your guy who can replace Powers, I guess, you know, is what I was trying to say. So, yeah, no, I mean, I look, I would love to see him get out there and play. He's 24 years old, maybe 23. I could be wrong because um, I don't think he redshirted at Georgia, but I might be wrong there. Uh, so it's not like he's young, but this is his, you know, he's completing his second year trajectory wise. There's no reason why he couldn't play more, you know, next year. I just don't think this is his year. It doesn't look like it anyway.
0: Right. 24 years, 104 days right now for for Cleveland. So he's certainly at a point where he needs to get more live fire for the Ravens to figure out who he was. It's too, it's too, you know, you don't want to wait till, till year three, but then again, Hey, the Ravens got a pretty damn good interior offensive line. It's one of the real strengths of the team yeah there's nobody to be replaced at this point so it's a a case of cleveland you know doing the right things in practice being there when the opportunity comes up and in the nfl it will come up due to injury whether that's you know whoever it might be uh will probably give cleveland an opportunity whether it's a tackle or guard
3: i think we all would you know whoever you said was andrew i think we all would like to see him get an opportunity we would it appears as if and, and even your grading uh you know confirms it that Ben Powers is effective at at certain things. Now, you know, like, are there certain plays where uh Ben Powers sticks out like a sore thumb? Yeah. That that touchdown run by Tyler Huntley, you know, it looks bad, he gets driven in the backfield. That happens to every one of our it happened to Tyler Lindebaum in week one. He you know he got you know, driven in the backfield by Quentin Williams, who, you know, has dominated everybody this year. So it's not surprising that maybe once a game, there's a situation where an offensive lineman looks bad. They're going against great athletes. I wish Cleveland would get an opportunity. It doesn't look like it's going to be this year.
0: Yeah. Coach, I want to get you on this question because it's from Will Brown. I think it's a great one and it's right up your alley. Uh, and and also I put the, the thing out saying, hey, please use the hashtag film study mailbag eight hours ago. And he responded within about a minute with this and here's his question is what is the disconnect in the Ravens ability to consistently and effectively involve slash scheme open the wide receivers on this offense? Is it scheme? Is it play calling? Is it a lack of talent at wide receiver? The injury to Bateman didn't help, but this problem was here before.
3: Yeah. I would say in my opinion, the least important factor there is talent at wide receiver. I am not one of those people that, um, just throws a blanket statement out there and says, it's a wide receiver problem. I'm just not. I think that you can scheme people open. You can find ways. How do you do that? Well, you, you know the coverage and then you understand how to exploit that coverage through formation, motion, movement, whatever it is. Now, do we know the coverage? Yes, we do. There's no way we can't know the coverage. And when I say we, I mean the Ravens offense. We have, um, we have all the data. I'm sure I've never seen it, obviously, but we have all the data. And usually the data looks like this a particular defensive coordinator plays this coverage from the negative 35 to the negative 48, you know, something like that. And you can line up in this formation on the right hash and know what coverage you're going to get. It is that predictable at times. Now you'll get some variation. You know, you'll get you know certain guys, but like a guy like uh, what's the D coordinator at the Bills? Oh,
0: old, sc- uh,
3: <clears throat> old school guy.
0: No, it's not the-
3: Leslie no. Frazier. Leslie yes. Frazier. That guy's going to play certain coverages in certain parts of the field. So if we can't take advantage of it, that is scheme slash preparation. What was the second part of his question, which was an awesome question, by the way?
0: So it, it was, is it is it scheme? Is it play calling? Or is it talent at wide receiver?
3: So yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to address talent at wide receiver. I've seen the Chiefs. I've seen other teams um, integrate guys that just showed up and, and been fine. Go ahead, Ken.
0: Well, one of the things we mentioned from a scheme perspective was, do the Ravens do enough? to make it difficult on the opposing defensive coordinator by having, for instance, say likely in a game instead of Ricard at an appropriate time. So that you, you, you're, you're showing two tight ends, but you're also not telling them exactly how they're going to line up. Or, you know, the other thing with Duvernay potentially taking some snaps in the backfield, does that create another wrinkle for your offense? So I look at scheme as being, yeah, it's it's not only the play call, it's also how you're how you're employing your personnel, how you're deploying them. Yeah. And and what challenges that creates for the opposing defensive coordinator?
3: I would say like to answer Will's question, you know, or at least, you know, move toward answering it, I would say more of it is scheme slash personnel. And he I think he also said play calling. You know, play calling to me would be like the top of the triangle of of any breakdown, you know, any breakdown to me is play calling. The really brilliant guys have their plays built in for certain situations. And then you as a defense have to prepare for him. Well, what's the complaint about Roman? Because I think Will did a great job of forming this question. It didn't seem like he was overly focused on Greg Roman with this question because it, it is an entire offensive staff. Now, you do have data from the Bills, the 49ers, and the, the Ravens now about Greg Roman that's kind of overriding you know, like the play clock issue. That, that's, a, that's a Greg Roman issue. I think that's obvious. But there's an entire offensive staff of guys there. It's not just Greg Roman, you know, when the offense fails. But to get back to his question, play calling to me is always, always the main part of it. And and with scheme, you know, it's related. I think we're too predictable sometimes, for real. I don't think we do a good job of coming up with original plays to exploit uh, specific defenses. I see the same plays, pretty much every week from the same formations, and I feel confident that I can predict them pre-snap seeing the whole formation. Can NFL defenders do so? Yes. Look at Foye Oluwekin making 18 tackles for the Jags, and look at both inside linebackers for the Broncos this past week making 17 tackles apiece. To me, when inside linebackers are at every play, at every play, that tells you that they have a pretty good pre-snap indicator of where that play is going to go. I'm not sure I answered Will's question, or if you no, want to add good. on there.
0: I I think I would agree with what you said. I want to actually lead into another question, which has almost all of that that you just covered very well, and then a little bit additional. And that's from Nikki at Nikki622A says, "What's happening with the offense? It seems as if the other teams are able to understand our plays before we run them." Definitely what you just said, and I agree, there's definitely tendencies that the Ravens are showing that allow some of the inside linebackers in particular to do a lot more damage against the Ravens, it seems. Can we survive with Huntley under center, and will adding J.K. and Ronnie help? I'll take the second part of that because it's easy. Adding Ronnie will help a lot. I actually don't know about J.K. hes I don't know where he is. I don't know when he comes back, who he's going to be. It should help because it's not like we have a, a, a stable of backs that's that great. Talk about Huntley and, and and whether or not you think the Ravens can survive there.
3: Yeah, I do. I mean, I think we are judging Tyler Huntley. You did a nice job explaining it earlier. We are judging Tyler Huntley. You know, he went one and four last year or, or whatever he did, you know, but that was with a extremely compromised defense, personnel-wise, mm-hmm. talent. Of that defense was not good. And then, you know, you also have some occasional ridiculous decisions to play certain coverages. But, you know, that's a digression. Yes, we can be fine with Tyler Huntley if we execute and we don't turn the football over turning the how did we beat the Broncos when we turned the ball over twice and they didn't turn it over once to my knowledge. That's a rare thing.
0: A good that's a good answer I, i'll go right along with that we'll go one more question then we'll call it for the night here um this is from at jtor 10 says it was lamar season 8 and 4 um despite previous success how can roman get the players mainly lamar to trust and have confidence in his scheme again there seems to be a disconnect there regardless of wins or losses
3: yeah i would think that's a first of all i think it's a valid question i mean if you're not producing then you should be judged as such there's nothing wrong with that how can he go ahead sorry
0: i i I was just going to ask you if assuming that that disconnect does exist and i i think that there there was a staleness that grew fairly quickly between cam cameron for example and joe flacco and certainly between joe flacco and some other coordinators but cameron he had some success with and then all of a sudden cameron was persona non grata during the middle of the 2012 season oh yeah have we reached a point that Lamar has outgrown Roman and almost needs a fresh, pers- fresh offensive perspective. Cause I mean, a lot of the things that have been great about Lamar that have been completely emphasizing his skills as a player are directly Greg Roman built.
3: Yeah. I mean, it certainly seems like it. It certainly seems like we're to the point. And, and I said this in my reaction video, you know, and this is not disrespectful to Greg Roman because or his staff, you know, like I, I, a couple of things. Number one, if we went around a room and I voted right now, and I got to vote, you know, would I vote to to get a new, fresh offensive perspective? Yes, I would. Having said that, who is it? Mm-hmm. And and number one, and number number two, part of that question, and I'm not attacking the question that was asked by this person. I forget his name. Sorry. Is <clears throat> how do you know that certain things are Greg Roman's fault? Like for example, um our wide receivers some people it's uh, it's interesting to me the wide that that pass should have been completed no it shouldn't the wide receiver slowed up well who do you blame for that you know like how do you blame that it seems as if we're very interested in focusing a lot of our blame on greg roman to the exclusion of a whole lot of other people and i find let me put it this way that disconnect to me seems larger than whatever disconnect we generally have on our offense. However, the last three weeks, the disconnect seems really large. You know, uh, Panthers, Jaguars, and now Broncos. I don't know how you can survive too many more weeks of this, but we are getting late in the season. So I don't don't think I answered that question, though. Maybe you can do a better job
0: of it. I'll just say I don't think anything's happening with Greg Roman this season. Um, Even if he left for the Stanford job, which could happen, I suppose. I don't think the Ravens offense is going to look a lot different the remainder of the season if they moved on from him. It's possible in the postseason it might, but I don't think you know, whatever offense they have planned for Tyler Huntley right now, whatever they've got installed, it's a it's a seismic shift to get something installed. It doesn't happen in one week. It's it's gonna take multiple weeks to layer in new stuff and really make yeah. it look different than what it is right now. And basically it's gonna be the same set of You know, offensive line keys that you're working off of and offensive line concepts that you're working off to start with. I don't think they're going to radically change that. So I think, you know, you're basically you've got this offense for this year. So if you're talking about what happens the next year, I think actually the likelihood of Roman being here next year is pretty slim. Agreed. Uh, the, The Ravens will move on. Yeah.
3: Agreed. And the recruiting timeline, you know, for college football was happening now. So, so the Stanford thing, I think, is an offer that would probably expire at some point, point. and I don't know when that date is. You know, I don't pret- only know personally. You know, kids that are being recruited right now are being told certain things, but as we all know, with the portal, that has changed everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't know. I don't see anything happening. Uh, I'm not as quick to say that a person should be gone. But after the last three weeks that we've had, and and again, I think it corresponds to last year, a similar dip in production and points per game, yards per play, a higher percentage of of negative yardage plays. All of those things seem to be happening at the same time this year that they happened last year. Uh, That's called a pattern from where I come from. And I know you're a math person, so I would not openly stand there on a soapbox and advocate for Greg Roman's firing. But I would say that it's definitely something that should be under consideration.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, you know, there's two different levels to this that I I just want to make very distinct here is that I don't think this applies in any way to the head coach. John Harbaugh has brought a great culture and that's what the head coach is responsible for. There's a little bit of other game management stuff that you can point to him. Maybe there's some other things in terms of, you know, being able to stick your foot on the neck of the offensive or defensive coordinator when it's appropriate to do so and say, no, right. look, we got to change this. And I, I can remember specifically talking to, about Joe Flacco going into the second half of the New England playoff game for the FC Championship in 2012. And Harbaugh saying, we got to open it up in the second half. And they just went, Harbaugh, no huddle shotgun. Oh, sorry. Uh, Flacco no yeah. puddle shotgun. Second, and they, the Patriots had no answer for it none right that's that's culture in play that's that's uh, you know a, a head coach knowing when to when to back off what I, I that Ravens culture is impeccable i mean there's just so good that you know they use the math it's not that it's it is if you want to say that the, the 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 system is stale and that other teams are catching up to it and that you know Lamar doesn't like it so that's enough of a reason maybe you move on then i'm okay with that uh, yeah, it's, it's the devil, you know, though, and you better have a better option that you go to, because otherwise you'll waste another year out of, a, you know, a very talented team's uh, existence.
3: Yeah, I understand that my perspective and my background is a little, you know, different or or unique than some others, because I have actually spent hundreds, maybe even thousands of hours on different teams that we faced. You know, obviously the high school level, very different, but OK, this personnel, uh, this yard line and and this formation I've seen. Uh, let's. I'm just throwing numbers out. I've seen this that situation 18 times, and I've seen this one play 17 of those 18 times. Yep. If if I can't figure out a way to stop that, given those three indicators, then I need to move on. No, now that's a defensive coordinator. So let's shift it. In my opinion, we are too predictable with certain things. If and this is this is not easy to say. I do wonder about the Ravens self scouting. Do they have? people on the offensive staff who are self scouting as if they're going to prepare for us because Mm -hmm. I shouldn't me personally with my ability level, I shouldn't be able to pick out some of the things that I feel like I can pick out. You know, could, could I coordinate people to stop it? Absolutely not, but I can see it and identify it. There's people way more talented than me who can see it as well. There's people whose full-time job it is to sit there 60 hours a week in front of a computer and figure those things out. And that would be my main complaint uh, for Greg Roman. And I would, you know, if I ever got the chance to speak to him in person, I would say that, I'd say like, Hey man, how come I can look at this personnel and this motion and I can predict the play. How comfortable are you with that? Why aren't we doing anything to go
0: against it? That's the right way to ask that question, by the way, is saying, what, what do the Ravens have in terms of self-scouting that makes them confident that they're not becoming stale. And I don't know who does that. for I don't know if they have an entire separate staff for self-scouting because I know they 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 talk about it. Harbaugh talks about it sometimes as in they're doing it at certain times of the year, like of at the quarter poll or at the buy. But but there, there should be someone doing that on a, on, a, on a fluid basis, like every week basically looking and saying, hey, what tendencies are we showing? How can we break those tendencies? How can we create some things? And ideally, it's an independent consultant type or a, or a person who doesn't have offensive or defensive responsibilities—that's that—that hasn't seen it from the defense playing the offense on the in the practice field, or from the offense uh, offensive side of the ball with an investment in terms of some of play concepts staying around.
3: Yeah, and it's not even so. It's not even just um, <clears throat> formation, personnel. You know, time of game, situation. Mm-hmm. There's people who have patterns. So, like first and ten, run second and six, whatever the situation is, second and six is another run. And and the computer systems that we have now, you can put those in. Okay, give me a first and 10 run, a second and six run, and then the third down, whatever that is. And those things, they may sound like this really wide umbrella. In some situations, they actually are not. You'll get first and 10 run, 22 personnel, second and six run, 21 personnel. So now you've got a pattern now you've got a pattern developing. I'm only giving you two parts to it. The third part may be some other piece. And the computer would spit back to you. Here they are. You see those happen uh, seven times over the course of 12 games. That's not concerning. You see them happen 45 times. They start to be concerning. And as a defensive staff preparing for this team, you say, okay, it's first and 10, 22 personnel they ran. Now we're in second six. They're in 21 personnel. The computer says they're running here. You know, that's the level of self scouting that has to be occurring and, and probably tenfold based on what I just described. That's a very simple explanation. I'm sure that NFL teams have four or five guys willing to do that. I volunteer as tribute if they don't. <laughs> you know, but my point is, I question sometimes the level of self scouting we're actually doing.
0: Well, that, that's, that is fair enough. And, and part of tendency breaking, though, is not 100% of tendency breaking is on the offensive coordinator. I mean, they'll often send in two plays anyway. So you have a check right. play that you're exactly. doing. And so it's got to be on Lamar and on the personnel on the field, or really on Lamar uh, more than anybody, to be able to check to the proper second play when he sees a Luicon or JOK or, or uh, uh, Wilson or whoever the inside linebacker is, has figured out the Ravens, uh, yep. you know, shading away, you know, he's got to check, 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 you know, and, and, and go to the opposite play there. Yeah, uh, where, where you did. It. Anyway, you got to take some responsibility hold on the field.
3: I agree. No, no, totally agree. And I, I, I know you're a boxing guy, a history boxing guy. So, so first of all, that's very cool because I don't meet too many of those people now. It's all MMA, and I'm an MMA fan too. But I'm going to give you a, an analogy, and I think this is a good way to to finish this point up. I hope you know a boxer lays traps. You know, they lay traps. The the great ones lay a trap on top of a trap, and they give you a jab or whatever they give you and they see your reaction. And then later on, they give you 60% of a jab or 50% of a jab because they know they're going to get a certain reaction and they've not committed to that jab. They've really prepared themselves to throw the counter to your counter. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, that's the self scout piece and the two plays piece. And that's, that's the part of this offense that I don't think is uh, very well done, you know, and, and that's the level that, First of all, talking with someone like you or the people that are in my Discord, you know, who are very knowledgeable and very interested, that's the level of, level of discourse that I enjoy and that I will participate in. I will never participate in the surface level, now We should fire him because of this. Mm-hmm. I will only participate in the level of um, discussions like this, where you're actually examining what's the specific part that is a weakness. To me, it's the self scouting, and it's the faint. Jab, we want to elicit this reaction, and then we want to hit you with the right hook. And that's the part of this offense that I don't feel like has been well done at
0: all. Well, I, I think that's fair enough. And more importantly, Coach, we've we we we've got to wrap this up. We've been almost three hours here, and it's been just – this is so much fun talking football with you. And Yeah, man. Uh, I would I would hope that the Ravens goes deep enough into the playoffs. We can we can have another show. It'd be great if if you could come back for the Super Bowl or the AFC championship or something and talk about either side of the ball. But but in any case, we're going to get you on more. Really appreciate the great sound quality tonight from you uh, <laughs> and, and, and what's going on. I mean, seriously, it's it's uh, you know, we we, we want to have you on as much as we possibly can. So make sure we do some projects in the offseason together. But for right now, tell folks where they can find your stuff again.
3: You mean YouTube and Twitter right now is the the main two pieces that I'm you know generating stuff from um, and putting out content, trying to put out Twitter content. All twenty two films is uh, is the address or is is the the moniker I guess you could look up at all twenty two films. Uh, also have a Discord that's you know becoming pretty active and becoming a little bit too big of an animal for me to control. <laughs> uh, 70 people, you know, pretty much communicating on a daily basis about the Ravens. And I try to be there and be as present as possible because those people are generally, you know, part of my Patreon. So um, Ravens football season is so much fun and it goes by so fast. Hope we do get a chance to talk again this year, man.
0: Yeah. Out, outstanding stuff, coach. Just uh, You you bring a very high level to, to this and just your, the detail and the coaching background just really appreciate other folks out there, uh, if you'd like to film study short, sure, hit me up uh, on Twitter with a DM. They're always open. I'm always interested. I saw somebody during the show tonight has already hit me up with another one about fourth down. Uh, love Loving it. I'm going to be getting right back to him about that. Uh, another thing that uh, uh, we would ask people to do is if you know someone who's a little bit older, maybe is not really into podcasts, show them how to use at their computer, how to go to filmstudybaltimore.com and just hit the play button on a podcast. Introduce them to them. We're trying to get some nice word of mouth. Get this to a few more people who might not normally listen to podcasts, but might be amenable to listening on a computer. Uh, it, that just might seem a little bit more normal to some people. Uh, anyway, I'm I'm sensitive to the needs of elderly gentlemen, so uh, I will being uh, <laughs> one myself, of course. And and uh, this would be great. But uh, uh, coach, thanks again for coming on.
3: Appreciate it, man. This is so much fun. Like like you said, I didn't expect it to go three hours long. My voice is getting ready to give out, but uh, a lot of fun. You guys do a great job. You guys do a great job. Much appreciated.
0: We'll talk to you next time on Film Study.